Tonight I'm going to very simply set two points before you. First of all, I want to set the Lord Jesus before you as my Savior, and I'm thinking about the work of the saving of my soul. And then the second point will be dealing with Christ my sustainer, how he has kept me over many years, body, mind, and soul. So that's really what we're going to try to accomplish tonight with the help of the Lord. First of all, then, my Savior. And I might just preface my remarks by saying that your experience may not necessarily be like mine. Mine, I suppose, is somewhat dramatic. And uh, yours may not be that way at all. But remember this, that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if you're trusting the Lord, if you have trusted, if you have turned from sin and are turning more and more from sin now, well, praise the Lord. Have no doubt that you're a child of God. If not, then I would encourage you to give diligence to make sure your election of Christ is firmly before you. So we set that remark before you. Don't think that because you haven't had my experience that you cannot be a saved child of the Lord. Many testimonies begin with the individual speaking of being born into a Christian home. And of course, those who have heard my testimony before will be able to say, yes, he has been born into a Christian home, and so I have been. And what a great boon of blessing that has been to me. And I would say to every Christian parent here, don't despair. Perhaps it's the wayward son or daughter, or maybe spiritually they're not making the progress you would like for them to make. There's power, there's power in holiness with God and with men, if we faint not. So rejoice. God is the God of means. And if your children have brought into a Christian home and raised and brought out perhaps outside the home now, pray on. Uh, there's power in holiness with God and with men. But you know, our, our testimony really has no beginning in this sense, that we were given by the Father to Christ before time began in the everlasting covenant of grace. That's why we read there from that opening chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And Paul wanted these believers, many of the new believers, he wanted them to know something. And it was this, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. So that tells us that the basis of our salvation is not on ourselves, but on the eternal choice of God. Our choice was based on his. And uh, this gives insurance to us and it gives confidence in our hearts and in our souls. What a strong foundation we have. If we can say tonight, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. And then out of eternity, coming into time, if I could put it like that, God arranged for prayers to be raised for me and for the word of the gospel to be set before me. I was born in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada, in 1959, into a home where the fear of God was known thanks to my Christian parents. There was a family altar in that home. I can still see in my mind's eye the stick beside Dad. If any of us happened to act up during that time, we received its due reward. So there was a family altar. There was Sabbath worship. The whole day was given over to the Lord. It just wasn't Sunday morning only. 
morning and night we found ourselves at the house of God, sometimes in the afternoon as well. And if there happened to be a missionary nearby, we went to enjoy fellowship with them after the evening service. So the whole day was given over to the Lord, and God blessed it in saving my soul and saving the soul of my brother and my sister. We were sent along yearly to Sandy Cove Bible Camp, a lovely beach area on Davidson Lake. And it was the highlight of the summer for me. I used to look forward to going there every July. And uh, I can remember on one occasion being concerned about my soul. I made a profession of faith. But looking back on it now, I have the hindsight of looking back on things, the word of God did not come to me at that time in saving power. Verse number five. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And if you want to know a definition for nominalism, we see so much of it today, here it is. The word of God coming in word only. Yes, it must come in word. But if that's as far as it goes, it will accomplish essentially nothing. We must know the power working in the word, the word that he has given the power of the Holy Ghost. And so many have heard the word and nothing more. It hasn't been accompanied by the life-giving power, the breath of the Spirit of the living God. Beware of hearing tonight. On every case, beware of hearing the word and not heeding the word. With great responsibility, with great privilege, rather, comes responsibility. Make sure you hear tonight. It's the very word of God. And give us the heeding that it is due. My older brother and sister attended New Brunswick Bible Institute. And at the age of 12, our family went along to the spring conference. And the speaker on that occasion was Pastor William Mullen. And he mentioned this in his book, Tramp After God. I arrived at that conference meeting quite unconcerned. I had been out the day previous with the principal's son uh, through the country, enjoying play and so on, and I came to that meeting that night completely unconcerned about my spiritual state. I mean, I, I had made a profession of faith. That was me. That's all that I needed to be concerned about, but that changed. That way of thinking completely and utterly was changed as I came into the meeting that particular night. I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you, first of all, what didn't happen. God's word didn't come to me in word only. But there was some person there with the presence of the Holy Ghost, and he was working in the preaching of the word. And immediately I was aware I was in the presence of God. And you cannot have a meeting with God and remain unmoved and untouched and unchanged. And God met with me. And I had a personal meeting with the Lord that very, very night. The message was on hell. And I knew just ever so deeply and awarely I was on my way to hell. I was deeply troubled. And the word of God came with great conviction. And with saving power. My Uncle Billy was there. Uh, he was a man that I used to enjoy 
meeting from time to time. He was, in many cases, a, ways a, a difficult man, a hard man. But I couldn't believe that Uncle Billy was there. Uh, by the way, invite people. It was my mother's brother, and she must have kept her at it. And he came to that meeting some 100 miles away from where he lived. Always take the opportunity to invite others along. You never know what God will do. But I looked up into his face, and I could see tears streaming down his cheeks. And I thought, that's strange. Billy is a hard man. That really spoke to me. But there was tears, but no repentance. Tears, but no repentance. There was a word there without the power of the word being applied to his. It was being applied to mine. We're only about two feet apart. But it wasn't being applied to his. Although there was some awareness that God was working in his heart and within his soul. But Billy, it would seem, left that meeting a Christ rejecter. And as far as I'm aware, it was the final opportunity for him to be saved. It could be somebody's final opportunity tonight being saved. You never know, as you're going to hear in a few moments' time, what a day brings forth. You're on the very precipice of death, on the very edge of hell, all the while you live. And it could be somebody's last opportunity. Make sure if God speaks to you tonight, that you give that due responsive heart. Don't leave the meeting. Don't wait for the message to conclude. Be saved. Here and now, step out on the promise and get under the blood. So anyone who was asked to come forward that night, anyone who was under concern, under conviction, were invited to come forward. And I was at the very back. I can still see where I was in my mind's eye many years ago, at the very back. And I could not be held back. I didn't know who was there. I didn't care who was there. I know that night I needed to be saved. And I was determined to be saved. And so I made my way out. Now after that, the time we left that building to a, I can say, nearby joining complex, but it's quite a ways away. I can see that in my own mind tonight. I have no recollection. I don't know who was there, at least initially. But I was under such deep conviction of sin. God had me shut into himself it was like God had a personal meeting with me and I had a personal meeting with God. And who else was there didn't matter. What I do remember is, as it were, coming to in that hall. But what a change. The burden had lifted. There was joy unspeakable and full of glory. God's words, God's word came in saving power to my heart that night. What a change God had created in my heart and in my life, and there was a deep sense now of well-being, an all-consuming feeling of, of well-being, an unshakable assurance. There was a deep, settled peace. God had done that. In a few moments of time, there were about 20 or so individuals in that room uh, that particular night, and again I was at the very back, and Pastor Mullen asked every individual just to give a brief word of testimony. And I was lamenting the fact that it was getting nearer and nearer to me, started at the front and getting back to the back, and I was the very last one. And as a lad of 12, I opened my mouth and I couldn't speak. It was joy unspeakable. And it was full of glory. 
Well, that was about 50 years ago now, and half a century later, God is still keeping me. God is still saving me from sin and uh, causing me to go where in the way that I should go. And I want to encourage any individual here tonight out of Christ, the Bible says, whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you call from a heart of hearts, a heart deeply touched by the word of God and your own personal need of God, just take God's word. Step out on the promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wouldn't you like to be saved tonight? Wouldn't you like to know that peace that God has given to me? That unshakable assurance that is well with my soul, that for me to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And if God is speaking to you tonight, Oh, what a privilege. I would encourage you, here and now, just where you are, call upon the name of the Lord for the saving of your heart and your soul, and God will do it. It's as simple as that. And uh, we trust that tonight, if you're not here out of Christ, that you'll leave in Christ, redeemed by precious blood. Well, as we say, that was about a half a century ago, the Lord saved me, and I've been speaking of my wonderful Savior ever since. And that's the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in my eyes. So I want to leave that with you there, that thought of Christ being my Savior. He's my Savior still. He saves from sin and he keeps on saving from sin as we go on with him day by day. But I come now, secondly, to consider something of Christ my sustainer who kept me body, mind, and soul to this very hour. We're kept, the Bible says, by the power of God through faith. Notice that, through faith, unto salvation. So we're going to fast forward things about half a century, from about the age of 12 to the age of 60, to June the 22nd, 2019, our wedding anniversary. An anniversary I never forgot, and will never forget. It was the day I suffered a massive stroke. You look at Job's experience, how quickly it was just one wave of calamity after another. And this came upon me so suddenly. I, I really, in some sense, it took a year or two to, to deal with the, with the suddenness. It was a shock. And so quickly, there was the, the loss of health, losing essentially half of my brain function. I could not do some of the most basic parts of life. I lost many things in that sense. My career my way of living, my ability to perform some of the most basic functions of life. I couldn't walk, right? Do you believe I couldn't read my Bible? A minister. And I couldn't read my Bible. But I did not lose. I did not lose my salvation. I did not lose my Savior. Nor did I lose my desire to preach. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. He doesn't give something and then takes it away. You maybe think, because I'm in ill health, God's taken the gift away. No, he hasn't. You still have it. And I would encourage you to use it. Take a step of faith. But there was much that I've lost at that point in time. But there's some things I could never lose. And I want you to encourage yourself in the Lord. I couldn't lose my Savior. Couldn't lose his salvation or the ability or the intention, the desire to preach him. In fact, Christ is more real, precious, and powerful now than he's ever been before. 
We were in Austria for our 28th wedding anniversary, and as my wife's gift to me just for one night, that day of the 28th, we were staying in a scenic remote village of Hallstatt in Austria. We were staying in a lovely hotel at the lake shore, just at the base of a mountain. I have it here on my phone. In fact, no, I don't have it on my phone. I left it in the car. But I can show you a beautiful picture, very remote. Now, that's not the place you want to be in when you're taking a stroke. But there we were on the night of the 27th, 22nd rather, the day of our 28th anniversary. Around 10 o'clock, I happened to be looking into the mirror, and I noticed that the side of my face had changed shape. Now, I wasn't overly concerned about that. I just said to my wife, I, I think I'm having a stroke. And that was it. I don't remember anything after that, apart from coming to, thank the Lord he sustained me. And I remember coming to the next morning, conscious of uh, suffering some great calamity. It was the hospital in Salzburg. And I'm told afterward that if you have a stroke, that's the best hospital in the world to be in. Halstead. When I came back to Coleraine, they, they let me stay in my bed for quite a while. Not in Halstead, or rather not in Salzburg. They had me up. I didn't feel like getting up. I didn't want to get up. In fact, I was quite angry. Leave me alone. But no, they got me up just the same. So in the providence of God, I found myself in that hospital in Salzburg. Upon taking the stroke, my wife managed, there's quite a difference between our frames, just managed to get me into the recovery position uh, so that she could seek help. And I've often tried to put myself in her own position. She must have been in that night. Of course, I was oblivious to it all. And she, she prayed, Lord, what am I to do? What am I to do? Everything in the Hallstatt closes at 10 a.m. Even the hotel front desk was vacant. But a definite strong impression came to her mind. Go outside. But uh, it was pitch dark. And all the cafes were, were closed. Yet this definite impression upon her mind was go outside. So she did go outside. But initially at least... She noticed nothing and thought, well, that has accomplished nothing. But she just turned and at the corner of her eye, she meant to go back into the hotel. She noticed some movement. There was two men at the back of a cafe. It was essentially dark. And so she went to them with great concern and she said, can you help me? Please, can you help me? My husband, there's something wrong with my husband. And that man said, show me where he is. He could speak English. Wasn't that wonderful? Show me where he is. And then he identified himself. He said, I'm a first responder from a rescue team. My, those were such blessed words to my wife's ear at that time. I, I'm the first responder. You've come to the right person. I'm the first responder from a local rescue team. That man took complete control of getting me from the hospital, or rather from the uh, hotel to the hospital as quickly as he possibly could. I figure, we tried to figure out what length of time was involved. It was about 75 minutes. Now that, that really was nothing short of a miracle when you consider where I was. And I would say tonight, brethren, isn't God's providence wonderful? It's absolutely wonderful how that God in that deep distress had it all worked out. That man was sitting there, not by his own 
intuition. It was the working of God in his heart. He placed him there. And just the right individual to help me in that very most needy time. My wife then got down before the Lord having her devotions. I want to say never stop having your devotions. You say, I can't have my devotions. It's too busy. No, you're too busy not to have your devotions. And it will be a great boon of blessing you miss if you don't keep up with your daily reading of the word of the living God. So that particular night, if you're following McShane's outline, you would have read the very same thing. You find it in Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55 and the verse number 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my wife thought, well, surely that's right. This wouldn't have been my thinking. This wouldn't have been my way of doing things. Isaiah 55 and the verse number 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, what was the response? What was the run the end result of that? Well, peace key. Because she realized this was God's way. This was God's thoughts. Far above my own. I would never have thought of this. But peace came because God was in control. Regardless of how desperate the situation might be, God is in absolute and utter control. And that brought great peace to her heart. And that's what she needed at the very time in which she was. And it's so important for preachers to enter into the pulpit with a word in season. And I trust that somewhere along the way there'll be a word in season for your heart Tonight, the next morning, she phoned home. That was Rishakin at that time. And she spoke to Jessica. And Thomas said to her, you must get God's people to pray. You must get God's people to pray. And of course, the rest of the children certainly get down to, to prayer. And her efforts seemed to go viral. They seemed to go around the world. And we have met scores of Christians here and there who says, look, we've been praying for you. We've been praying for you. And I want to say tonight that I'm here in answer to your prayers. I'm not just here by chance happening. God has taken me out of the pulpit for a while, but in answer to your prayers, he's brought me back into this pulpit, this very pulpit. In answer, I say to your prayers, I want you to be encouraged with that because prayer does change things, radically change the situations we may have to face from time to time. So God has been answering prayer. The more faithful I am in pleading the promise of healing, and I'll come to that very shortly, God is faithful in fulfilling that promise he has given to me. So make sure when God gives a promise, you don't just let it sit there. Let it lie fallow in the sacred page. You take it, take it out of that page, bring it to your heart, and take it back to God in daily earnest prayer. So God's people have been much in prayer. So I want to thank you most sincerely for your prayers tonight, prayers in the past, and I hope as a result of this meeting with you, you'll continue to pray for me in the days that do lie ahead. Prayer changes things. When my wife met the doctor the next morning who attended to me, he warned her, he said, your husband has suffered a massive bleed on the left hemisphere and it will be several weeks or months before he'll be well enough to return home. The doctor, he didn't know 
the woman that I married, she said, but doctor, my family needs me. And I suppose she's also thinking we can't afford these medical bills. And I would like my husband to be home for his 60th birthday. That was July the 6th. I took the stroke on the 22nd of June, so that's just about two weeks. He was speaking about months. No, doctor, I'd like to have him home for a 60th birthday. And would you believe it? I'm sure the, the doctor himself could hardly believe it. That same doctor organized an incredible plane journey, uh, equipped with all the necessary equipment and, and personnel to take me from that place to Coleraine in less than two weeks. Far, far from well. But I was home. And prayer changes things. Just a word about those expenses. When Thelma booked the holiday, she used MasterCard Gold. Now this isn't meant to be an advertisement for any particular credit card. But she used MasterCard Gold instead of MasterCard Standard. Now you say, well, so what? Well, I'll tell you, so what? There was automatic coverage with MasterCard Gold for all our hospital expenses, all the hotel expenses, all the mammoth traveling expenses, every bit of it. And, you know, isn't God's providence wonderful? Before we even realized we had a need, before it was even coming to the fore, God had already, he had already made the way that need would be met. Isn't God wonderful? And I would say to you, Praise God for the little things in life. If you see God working, Satan will say, that's not God, that's just chance. No, it's not just chance. He's a liar. That's God's work. In, in, in the little things of life, we miss out on a heaven below when we don't see that this is nothing more than the hand of God. And what assurance that gives to our own hearts and souls. Unbelief, of course, is otherwise. And it would remove blessing from our souls. But no, thank God for even the little blessings that he gives to you day by day. It's a wonderful God that we serve and that we love. So we miss this heaven below when we don't see God working even in the little things of life. While I was in the ICU in Salzburg, I asked my wife if she thought I would ever preach again. The only place I looked was at her, her eyes. I didn't look at her lips, I looked at her eyes. Because I knew her, her eyes would tell me the story. Will I ever preach again, do you think? And without hesitation, she took me back. With certainty, she answered, yes! And an even better preacher. Now what I take from that is that I would have an experience of God through the stroke that I could not get otherwise. Yes! An even better preacher. Do you, know, do you know what happened there? She got a promise. Before I'd answered the question, God had given her a promise. And the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. In other words, if you and I fear God, God will show us his secrets, what he's going to do. And how does he show us his secrets? In showing us the promises of God, exceeding great and precious promises of his. So she knew that God will do as he has said. Now in particular, if you would like to turn ahead just a page or two in your, word, in your Bibles to Isaiah 57, but two days later, uh, this is where she was reading from, no coincidence, chapter 57 of Isaiah and the verse number 18. 
I have seen his ways and will heal him. That's pretty clear. I will lead him also and restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. What words and season? I create the fruit of the lips. Now there's the key portion. I create the fruit of the lips. Isn't that speech? Doesn't that include preaching? I create, I'm the one that creates the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him that is afar off and to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. Double over, doubled. Certainly. Now it didn't happen instantaneous, but little by little, God has been doing what he said he would do some four years ago. And when God gives you a promise, don't let go. Don't let go. God, you said, you must do as thou hast said. And so what a wonderful promise the Lord gave to us initially to my wife at that particular time. So brethren, there's wonderful working power in the promises of the word of the living God. And so tonight I want to encourage you, if you get a promise from God, don't let go until God does as he has said he will do. Now that promise, and this is the way it is, that promise was going to be a great challenge to me and my stroke and my faith. How God could take somebody that was so far down and bring back again. And so it was going to be a great challenge to the promise and to my own faith in the promise. But God always is good to his word. He cannot deny himself. Yet we must prove the promise. Don't let it sit there. Prove it. Pray through until the answer you gain. About a year after my stroke, I hit rock bottom. Finding myself in a dark, deep, bottomless hole. And oh, how distressed I was. Whenever you experience something like this, it must affect the whole man, body, mind, and soul. And it affected me not only bodily and spiritually, but mentally. And I was very, very low. I came to that place where others in the Word of God have come to, and I thought to myself, I'm no good to my wife, I'm no good to my family. I'm no good to myself. I'm no good to the Lord. Lord, would you just not take me? If my work is finished here, just, just take me. I can't live like this. And it was a very, very low place. And I prayed, Lord, would you not touch me to the point, at least, where I would, to some degree, measure, begin to, able to enjoy life. God gives us all things richly to enjoy. Take the promise up and bring it back to God. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. And I took that. That was a boon of blood. I latched onto that. I said, Lord, did you not promise? You, you cause all things richly to give us enjoyment. And the Lord heard that promise. heard that prayer. It wasn't instantaneous again. But little by little... Slowly but surely, the Lord has brought me back to the point where I can live again, I can laugh again. If you can laugh, that's a great boon of blessing. I can live again, I can laugh again, and I can even preach again. And I have proved God. And proved that there's life after a serious illness. There's life after a serious stroke. 
And he has graciously brought me back from the brink. If he's done it for me, why can he not do it for you? God is able. Within a matter of a few days of returning home from Austria, four different individuals shared with me Job 23 and verse 10. That's why we read from that portion uh, tonight. He knoweth the way that I take when he hath tried me. I shall come forth as gold. And in taking me this way, he has given me something of himself that I, I could not gain otherwise. Now, it's not been an easy process. Refining never is. Refining is never easy. But he has brought me back to the point where I can enjoy. I've looked forward to coming to Guildford and meeting with you people, praying that God will use me to be a source of encouragement and blessing to your own heart and your own soul. And when I was confronted with that text, he knoweth the way that I take when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I thought, well, he's taken me into this process as dirt. He has worked upon me, this refining process, and I'm going to be gold at the end of it all. And God does, as he has said in his word, that he will do. So it's not been an easy process, neither has it been easy for my wife or my family. When I came back from Austria, I was a different individual in many ways. I was a brain-damaged husband. And it was greatly difficult for, for my wife, living with me, at the best of times, easy, not easy. But now I say that the reality was, he's a brain-damaged husband. Saturated, the left hemisphere of the brain was saturated. My family, of course, suffered also at this particular time. I want to encourage you that there's nothing too hard for the Lord. There's nothing that he cannot do. My wife wanted an anniversary in Kostat to be her gift to me. What she doesn't realize is that she, apart from the Lord, is my greatest gift, my greatest strength. And she's proved that over the last number of years. And uh, Mr. and Mrs. Crane had a good foresight in putting the two of us together. God had it all arranged. Even we didn't know about it. God does all things well, and I trust tonight the Lord will encourage and strengthen your hearts with the saints and the people of God. Mind you, if she wants to take me back to Halstead, I'd go. In fact, I'm thinking maybe next summer of getting, it'll be kind of a triumph. I, I went out of that hospital with my bed, head on the bed. I'll come back in a different condition and speak to those individuals who looked after me. Say, this is what you've done, this is what God has done. And uh, so I'd be happy to return. Could I ask someone here, anyone, everyone here, do you have a situation? Do you have lives that I'm not familiar with? Do you have a situation? Dark and foreboding? Well, I don't mean to be simplistic here, but I tell you my experience, get your Bible out. Get into the Word of God daily. Don't let that Word sit there. Bring it back to God in prayer. Has God given you a promise? Why should you ever let it go? Get other reliable Christians to pray with you. People were praying with me across the world. I didn't even know about it. Get other reliable, not Christians who are interested in gossip or bitter use. Great, real Christians. 
together and get them to pray. And you claim that promise until you obtain it. And tell others, here's an important thing, tell others what I'm doing tonight. Tell others what the Lord is doing. What the Lord has done. And what you know the Lord will do in the days that do lie ahead. Perhaps you ask, do you still have difficult days? Oh, to be sure I do. Uh, there's frustration, there's fatigue. I lose it, yes. I'm not going to be dishonest. My wife knows. God knows. I'm not a perfect individual, but I'm an individual who has proved God. And you can do the same. Sinner, saved by grace, God wants to bring you through better than when you entered in. That's the kind of God that we have. And I would encourage you tonight, don't let go of the promise that God has given to you. Dear Saint of the Lord tonight, let God, as we close, let God have his way. He's not ruining you. He's refining you, lovingly refining you. And he'll bring you forth as gold. And always remember that even though you don't feel this, God is doing exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. We don't live by feeling. We live by faith in the promise of God. God is doing that very fact tonight. He's doing exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. And God will not leave you nor me till our work is done. We are immortal until our work is done. I never thought when I was sitting in hospital bed that I'd be going around Ulster again to the various churches and sharing with them what the Lord has done. I never thought that, even though my wife told me that back in Salzburg, but I really didn't believe her. And I think it's a marvelous thing what God has done for me. And uh, God has great things in store. With this I close. God has great things in store for those who love him. There's four words I'm going to give you here, very brief. Love him. He loved us with an everlasting love. He knew the sins, the vile sins we would commit, but he never changed. Turn from his choice, his eternal choice. Let us love him in return. God has great things in store for those who truly love him. I heard two people praying tonight in the prayer meeting, Lord, we love thee. I don't very often hear that. Lord, we love thee. You should tell your wife you love her. Maybe I'm preaching myself now. And vice versa. We should tell the Lord we love him. Because he first loved us. These great things in store for those who wait for him. I tell you, those two or three years were the longest years in my experience. And you can't rush the hand of God. God works according to his own timetable. It's perfect timetable. There's other things to be considered when he's dealing with us. He doesn't wait to be cruel. He waits to be gracious. He's waiting because he has great things in store for you. Then he has great things in store for those who fear him. Do you fear the Lord? Heard that promise? The, fear, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And then the trust, trust in him, as the Bible puts it, before the sons of men. An open, honest trust before men. Your faith in God. And God has great things in store for you. I can say that 
without any hesitation, without any doubt, God has great things in store for you, child of God. If you love him, wait for him, fear him, and trust in him. But a future is going to be beyond all our greatest conceptions. God has waiting for the hearts and lives of his own people. Well, I trust the Lord will take those few thoughts tonight and encourage his people and lead us into a deeper and closer walk with himself.